Please let us stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage today is taken from John 20, verses 1 through 16a. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, the word of the Lord. Be God. People, good morning. It's good to see you. Amen. You know, Johnny, he commented, I'm nervous to preach with live people. And one of the advantages of preaching to a camera is I just fill in what I, your responses are in my head, and you all have been so pleased uh, this past year, but now I, now I can't fill it in anymore, so I have to actually listen to you. So it is good to see you all this morning. Happy Easter to those of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you uh, watching with us on the live stream at this service. And uh, Easter, baptism, that was a great baptism, was it not, Jen? That was fantastic. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was my sermon. I don't even know that I need to preach my sermon now. That was so wonderful. And, uh, and then it's, it's going to be 70 and sunny today. So, I mean, there's so many things to be happy about this morning. Greetings uh, to the kids. I don't know if we have any kids. We've got a few kids uh, with us, but the kids are going to be with us. There we go. With us uh, this morning. So good to have you guys here. And uh, Miss Taylor, she put together like this, this uh, sermon bingo where you have to like listen for things that I say. And I gave her my notes. I've actually changed the entire sermon. So none of that's going to be in there. But no, that's not true. It's still going to be in there. So you guys, you pay attention to that. 
But uh, good to have you guys with us. And then there's so many new people. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but over the past year, we haven't met, but there's so many new people that have come to Calvary and uh, have been regularly worshiping with us in the live stream. And so I'm looking forward to meeting all of you, and I'm looking forward to you all meeting each other, too. So I, in the number of weeks that come as we're all together in person, I think it's going to be a fantastic time of not only reconnecting with people you haven't seen in a year, but meeting new people that have started worshiping with us as well. So I'm excited for that. Well, this morning, though, we continue on in our sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And if you've been with us, you know that this sermon series that we've been in since January of 2020, we have been following the single overarching story of the Bible. And the Bible tells a single story, and we've been just tracking along for the past year or more telling this story. And as Pastor Johnny mentioned on Friday, we've timed the sermon series to map onto the rhythms of the church calendar. And so we have intentionally moved the sermon series along to bring us to this point here on Easter morning. And it's on Easter morning that the Bible's story takes a decisive turn for the better, which is frankly about time. Because ever since that third Sunday in January, ever since the third chapter of Genesis way back in 2020, when humanity chose to go its own way, when humanity was defrocked from their, our royal priesthood as, as priests, kings, and queens of the world, ever since we were expelled from the garden, ever since the adversary absconded with our throne, our story for the past year and more has been marked by sin, by judgment, by exile, by hardship, suffering, and death. It has been a long road through our sermon series. And there have been words of promise along the way, as early as Genesis chapter 3, the great promise that God would send someone to redeem humanity. And there have been words of promise along the way. But on the whole, the sky above has remained dark and ominous. And the hope and the light of God's promised healing has been hidden, tucked away on the other side of the world like the sun. You know, it's there, but we haven't been able to see it. And then on Good Friday, the darkness deepened, and it seemed that all of God's promises, which were about to come true, died with Jesus on the cross. But as the expression goes, it's always darkest before the dawn. So this morning, on Resurrection Sunday, the first rays of the sun break over the horizon in our story, and from here on out, the sun will rise to its noontide, to its zenith, culminating in the conclusion of our story at the end of 2021. So we're going to be looking at John's account of the resurrection this morning from John chapter 20, which Myra has already read for us. And I want us to... to think about the resurrection with the, from the particular frame of Mary Magdalene. I want us to see Easter through her eyes. I want us to hear Easter through her ears. And my prayer this past week, my prayer this morning has been that the voice of Jesus would intersect with your life this morning just as it did Mary's. And that God's healing, which has begun 
afresh now in a sure way in our story would take hold of our hearts as well. All right, so John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene. Before we get into our passage, I want to say a word about Mary. There are a lot of Marys in the New Testament. In fact, there's six in the Bible, there's four in the Gospels, so it can be a little difficult to keep your Mary straight. And I think it's important to keep your Mary straight when you're reading the Gospels. So there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, who I think most of us know, right? Then there's Mary of Bethany, as in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's Mary of Bethany. Then there's Mary, the wife of Clopas, who stood with the other Mary at the foot of the cross. So there's Mary of Clopas. And then there's Mary Magdalene, or if you're British, Magdalene, right? So there's Mary Magdalene. That's our Mary this morning. We don't know much about Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is not her last name. It's the last name, or it's the name of the town that she was from. So Mary the Magdalene, just like Jesus the Nazarene. So if you ever meet Mary, don't think that Mary is, Magdalene is her last name, right? Luke 8 tells us that Mary... Magdalene had been healed from demonic oppression. Jesus had driven seven demons out of her. And that she had, become a, she had become a close traveling companion of Jesus. She moved in his inner circles. And that along with another, uh, a number of other women, she contributed to Jesus' ministry out of her own means. So she apparently was a woman of means and was able to help fund Jesus' ministry. There's an unsubstantiated tradition that goes all the way back into the Middle Ages that says that before she had met Jesus, she had been a, a fallen woman of ill repute. But that tradition is based on some misreadings of some passages and actually conflating some Marys together that don't belong together. And so there's nothing actually in the Gospels that says that. What we know for sure about Mary is that she is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, one of his most devoted followers, in fact, and she's part of his inner circle, and we also know that she was with him when he died on Good Friday, which brings us to our passage then this morning here in John 20. Because now it's Sunday morning. The sun has not come up. It's still dark, and Mary has gone to the tomb. She's going to anoint the body. But before, or as she, well, before we get to the tomb with Mary, I want you just to imagine, just imagine what she was feeling and thinking in this moment as she is heading to the tomb in the dark of that first Easter morning. All of her hopes, all of her dreams, all of her aspirations for the future have been wrapped up in the redeeming love of Jesus. In her darkest moment, haunted by this demonic oppression, he had freed her from the power of Satan. He had invited her into his personal company. He had given her new dignity and new purpose and new hope. And only just a week before, like we celebrated the last Sunday, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem declaring himself explicitly to be the long-awaited Messiah, and the people of Jerusalem had welcomed him with open arms. And she was with him. Not just like proximity with him, but like she was with him. She's with him, right? His glory is her glory. His victory is her victory. How bright the world must have been only one week before. Bright with promise 
and hope for the future. And then, out of the blue, completely unforeseen, totally unexpected, so sudden, so quick, Friday night, and everything unraveled. Everything unraveled. Judas's betrayal, the midnight arrest, Jesus' strange powerlessness. How perplexing that must have been. That here the man who commanded the crowds, who had fed the 5,000, who could calm the storm and the seas, strangely powerless before this mob that had come to arrest him. His unjust trial, his sufferings, his mockery, his cross, and then his death. And certainly throughout that, she must have been thinking, at any moment, it's going to turn. At any moment, he's going to do his thing. Like at any moment. But the moment didn't come. And he was killed on the cross, taken down, put in a tomb, and buried. And no one had seen that coming. No one had seen that coming. She had not seen it coming. None of the disciples had seen it coming. And now, perhaps numb with shock, certainly feeling despair and grief, she has come in the early morning by herself to the tomb. And when she gets there, what does she find? But that someone has been tampering with the body. The stone's rolled away and the body is gone. I mean, insult to injury. Like, how bad can it get at this moment? So she runs back to tell Peter and John that someone has been messing with the tomb and taken Jesus' body. They don't know. Has it been stolen? Has it been desecrated? Has someone perhaps switched tombs? So they come running to the tomb themselves to see. John gets there first, but he doesn't go in. Peter gets there and goes straight in. He sees the burial clothes there, along with the face cloth. And, who, and this is what's so, like, whoever had taken the body had taken time to unwrap him. I mean, it's just strange. It adds to the desecration. John goes in behind Peter. He sees neither one of them know what to make of the situation. Who would move the body? Is this more work of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Romans? Who would steal the body, and why had he been unwrapped and taken away naked? So bizarre and troubling. We read in verse 9 of chapter 20 that for as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that he must rise from the dead. This, that's not even like a thing that they might be thinking. Like, well, maybe he actually rose from the dead. It doesn't enter their minds. They're just in sorrow and confusion. And so Peter and John turn and they go back home, leaving Mary, poor Mary, still there in the dark, outside the tomb, weeping. Imagine if you had been Mary, how sorrowful that moment must have been for you, 
Not only had Jesus died and all of your hope with him, but now his body was missing. And you'd looked to Peter and John to help, not even sure what help they could give, but certainly maybe they could do something, but they don't know what to do either. And now they've left you standing all alone in the morning darkness, confused, hurting, and crying. And I think there's something so lonely and tragic about Mary crying by herself at the tomb in this moment after the men had left her there weeping by herself, so alone in his sorrow, in her sorrow. I mean, just take a moment and imagine that in our own context, right? Sometimes it's, it's we can, harder to put ourselves into that ancient context, but think about that here even in our own context in 21st century, what it would be like for a wife to lose a husband or perhaps her adult son that whom she was dependent upon, to go through the burial process and all that's involved with that, and then the next day while the great grief is still fresh, to go to the graveside by yourself, perhaps to mourn some more, only to get to the cemetery, to the grave plot, to discover that it's been re-dug up and someone has taken the casket. Or even more tragically, that the casket has been pulled up, stuck next to the grave, it's been pried open, and the body is missing. How tragic that would be for you in that moment. And in desperation, you call to your brother, perhaps, or maybe your uncle, and they, they come, and they look, and they don't know. And they just leave, and there you are by yourself in that moment, weeping and crying. How distressing that would have been for Mary. Faced with such loss, no one knows how to help her. She doesn't know how to help herself. So here at this point, she looks again into the tomb, and she sees two men sitting on the slab where Jesus' body had been. Hmm. And they ask her, why are you weeping? She says, well, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And she turns around. She's still crying, still in her pain and confusion. And then it, the gardener shows up. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Again, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me and where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And I picture her here in this moment, maybe on her knees now, collapsed, face in her hands, her eyes blurred with tears, sorrowful plaintive, confused. And then the groundskeeper speaks one word. One single word that changes everything. The one word that undoes all of her hurt. Mary just speaks her name. The familiar voice, his voice, speaks her name. And in that moment, without even looking up, she knows I mean, can you imagine that moment? 
in a moment, everything snaps into focus. In that moment, everything is different when he speaks her name. I like to think in that moment, the sun breaks golden over the horizon and its light pierces down into the tomb and the darkness that is there. Have you ever had anyone speak your name like that? Perhaps a, as a child when you were hurt and crying and maybe your parent came and just said your name and it was so comforting to hear them say your name. It's like this moment for Mary. She's in distress, but Jesus has just spoken her name. What was in that one word that Jesus spoke when he said her name? Peace, assurance, comfort, hope, compassion, and most of all, I think, love. And maybe your story and Mary's story this morning parallel each other. Perhaps your story this past year has landed you in the same spot that Mary was in that first Easter morning in the dark, alone, confused, weeping, full of grief. I think certainly that's true for all of us collectively. The pandemic has seen to that. It's been a hard year for us. But maybe quite apart from the pandemic, independent of the pandemic, this past year has been especially difficult for you. Maybe it's hard because of trials of your own making. Maybe it's hard because of trials that others have made for you unjustly. Maybe it's a combination of both. Likely it's a combination of both. Maybe this year, though, has been less dramatic, just kind of run-in-the-mill challenges of life. Whatever the case this morning, Jesus meets you here in this moment of Easter Sunday. He just called someone. I don't know who he's calling, but there he, <laughs> there he is. I can hear him calling you. <laughs> meets you here in this moment of Easter Sunday, and he speaks your name. He speaks your name. Because the hope of Easter isn't just some general broad hope for the world. It's a very personal hope for you here, sitting in this place. Jesus knows your pain, and he knows your sorrow, and he knows your grief, and he sees your tears, and he hears your weeping. And in certainty and in gentleness, and in compassion, he speaks your name, your name, a word of peace, assurance, comfort, hope, and most of all, love. Because Jesus isn't just some idea or just some concept, some impersonal positive force in the world. He's not just some religious figure of the past. He's not even just a living religious figure of the present. He's the living Son of God who intimately knows your life. He is aware of you, and he sees you, and he loves you. So whatever sorrow, whatever grief, whatever loss, whatever suffering, whatever pain you have experienced or are experiencing, the risen Christ is present with you this morning. 
He has known of you and cared for you since the foundations of the world. He loved you before you were good. He loves you when you are not. And his love and his grace and his kindness and his resurrection power is the answer for every single trouble and trial you are facing. Because he has good plans for you. And he loves you. So have you given yourself to him this morning? Not to his cause, not to his religion, but to him, the person, the living person of Jesus Christ. We're going to move into our time of communion. I want to invite those that will be uh, playing uh, the music for us this morning to come on up. As we're moving into this time of communion, I want this to be the question that we're bringing to our moment of communion together. Have I given myself to Christ? For many of us, we have tended to associate communion. If we had to pick some kind of moment in the liturgical year that we would associate communion with, some of us have tended to associate communion with Good Friday. It's most appropriate on Good Friday. Funerals, sadness, it kind of marks the crucifixion. It's all the things that have gone wrong in the world. But historically, communion has always been observed on Sunday, the resurrection day, the Lord's day, the day that Jesus spoke Mary's name with the voice of compassion and love and tenderness, not a voice of judgment and conviction. Communion isn't solely an occasion for sorrow and contrition, but it's also an occasion for celebration and rejoicing. Communion is the great reminder that Jesus has called us by name and invited us into union with himself. So this morning, if Jesus has spoken your name and you've heard it and you have received him in faith and trust, then this memorial meal that we are about to partake is for you. Whether you're a member of Calvary or not, this is a meal for the body of Christ to celebrate our union with Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning and you've brought fears and sorrows and pains in your life with you into this Easter morning, just like Mary did on her Easter morning, then let me encourage you to to have them dissolve at the sound of Jesus speaking your name. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows your pain, and he knows your sorrow. He stands beside you, triumphant over the grave, and you do not need to be afraid of the trials of this life. So as you hold the elements in your hand, be assured that he knows you and loves you and calls you by name. If you're not a Christian this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to join us here with us either in the sanctuary or watching on the live stream. And as we partake of communion as the body of Christ, and it's not something for you at this moment because you have not become yet part of the body of Christ, let me consider you to to let me invite you to consider the invitation that Jesus speaks to you this Easter morning. Because maybe you too find yourself like Mary, confused, alone, uncertain, not knowing what to make of the world or your own life, 
Things are people that you have trusted in, have disappointed you. Jesus stands ready to receive you. He offers his hand to you. The Bible teaches that there's both an informal and a formal way or aspects of becoming a Christian. The heart of becoming a Christian happens informally, just between you and Jesus and the privacy of your own heart. It can happen even right now, the quietness of this moment. You could pray something even as simple as this, Lord, I see that I need you in my life. I've tried to go my own way, but I've only gotten lost. I've tried to find hope in the things of this world, but I've only become hopeless. Forgive me for looking to other things. I repent of my vanities and vain pursuits. I acknowledge that you alone are the source of all truth and joy and love. I give my life wholly to you. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit and make me what you want me to be. You can say that sincerity and truth in the privacy of your own heart, just between you and Jesus. He will come into your life by the Holy Spirit and then formally in baptism to be welcomed into the community of faith, just as we've even seen this morning. Whatever your situation this morning, whether a Christian or not, as I distribute the elements here to the folks on the stage, you should have those as you came in this morning or those of you that are watching from home or gathering. As I distribute the elements, I invite you to consider Jesus speaking your name, to listen for his word in your heart, to hear what he would say to you. So let's do that now for the next couple minutes.